0: Welcome to Rich in Life, a podcast for anyone looking to be entertained while picking up a few tips on life, luxury, and resilience. And now your host, Rich Irani. I'm here with Vince Spinato, cosmetic chemist, certified nose to the likes of Jennifer Lopez, Gwen Stefani, Jessica Simpson, and Khloe Kardashian, Carrie Underwood, and Pitbull, and also consulted and developed new product lines for companies such as Chanel, Victoria's Secret, Bath & Body Works, Gap, Procter & Gamble, Johnson & Johnson, Trader Joe's, Whole Foods, Kmart, Sears. I know a lot of these are part of the same companies, but it just goes to show that products you developed were everywhere. So if you've ever worn perfume or makeup or even had a skincare regimen, there's a good chance Vince had a brilliant hand in it. So Vince. Yes, Rich. Rich. I want to start with, I, I mean, I want to get to the book. It's so amazing, but I just have to ask, is everything in the
1: book true? Unfortunately, yes, it is. Everything, everything in the book is true from the trials and tribulations to the funny stuff. That's one thing from the very beginning I wanted to make sure I did it, but if I was going to lay it all out. I wanted to lay it all out correctly and honestly. So it's yeah, it's all true.
0: Oh yeah, because you, really you really let it rip. The name of the book is My Pursuit of Beauty, The Glitz and Glam, and the batshit crazy. And you just launched the book, right? It's brand new.
1: Yes, correct. January 10th, uh, 2021. So just only about two weeks now. It's amazing. You talk about your
0: insecurities having dyslexia, BDD, and you hated the way you look. You hated your schnoz, your hair, and you had a lisp on top of that. And then even on top of that, if that wasn't bad enough, you had trichotillomania, a hair pulling disorder that left you with bald patches, right?
1: Correct, and he's and he pronounced it correctly, which is a miracle, you got it, absolutely.
0: It's funny, once I got it, I can't stop saying it. Trichotillomania.
1: I know. it's such a good fun word, isn't it? To throw around? Yes, <laughs> yes,
0: there's so much to unpack. I have to ask, in my mind, first of all, I don't know if you've ever seen Will and Grace. Did you ever see that show?
1: Oh, of course, yes.
0: Okay, do you remember Jordy, the nephew?
1: I, I do, I do. You,
0: reading your book, I imagined you as little Jordy when he goes to Will and says he's developed a fragrance called Scoundrel. And he (laughs) looks at Jordy and says, well, Joan Collins already did it. And he goes, that bitch is always a step ahead of me. In my mind, reading how obsessed you were about cosmetics, perfumes, and just the whole industry, you reminded me of him. Right. I wanna know, how did you get started? How did your obsession with beauty products get started at such a young age?
1: But I actually was a really good lead and by rich uh, either all purpose or by accident but you mentioned joan collins this whole it's a really embarrassing story but it's why i laid out in the book you know truthfully i literally got the idea from watching the young and the restless with my grandmother so i was like five six years old and the show's still on now so one of the soap operas that have still survived it's still there now and they have a cosmetic company that's what the show is about called jabot and sitting on my grandmother's knee at six or seven years old i don't know why i was watching the young and restless that early but i was i was enthralled with the the show and the drama and and all the perfume and the skincare products and by the time i was 10 years old i had made my first fictitious you know fragrance in my sister's easy bake oven which i still have a burn on my hand to prove that i that i did wrong and you mentioned joan collins and because it's all tied together which i lay out in the book the young and restless kind of shaped me for the beauty industry and then 1980 you know dynasty came out the creme dollar creme and that just destroyed me mentally for the rest of my life because i wanted everything they had so between dynasty for the the money the power and the stuff uh was what i what i thought i wanted at that age and then young and restless for the actual beauty products i put the two of them together and that's where the idea came from which is like such a weird idea but i mean it never uh i never deviated from what i wanted to do it always stayed that way and it was 10 years
0: old. You were 10 years old. See, that's incredible because, you know, I have kids that are six and a half now, twins and uh, a boy and a girl. And it would make me feel so bad if I knew that they had these insecurities that you had. Right. I'd be thrilled if they knew what they wanted to do at such a young age. I mean, that's great. The fact that at 10 years old, you knew what you wanted and you never veered from it. In the book, you talk about it didn't matter if you were selling futons, you were literally right. selling your creams. To customers that were coming in for futons, it was like you were running a drug ring on the side of the business.
1: And even, and, and to your point, Rich, even even in um, you know college, I, I mean, when I time, got time to go to college, I went to a really um, you know nice a liberal arts you know private college in Pennsylvania, and everyone was saying, you know, you to going change your mind. You're probably going to change your mind. Just make sure you go to school. And I did go. And my my college was only about three and a half hours drive from Manhattan, and I found myself. Every single weekend with my roommate Doug, who was a, ended up being a good friend of mine, I'd be driving to New York City and going and to Revlon, L'Oreal, Chanel, uh, uh, redkin all the corporate offices. And this is this is you know about ten years before nine eleven. So at that point, you still could walk in the buildings and bring your resume and kind of like if you're a musician, you could drop off your CDs, that kind of thing. Right. You know, so I was every single weekend I was leaving school and going to Manhattan and hitting the beauty company. So. My roommate in college is like dude what are you why are you even here doing this it's like you know what you want to do and i'm like well i mean what if i change my mind i should have the education you know but i was just i really was like in college driving myself crazy because I, I felt like i was just like killing time for no reason
0: well at least you went to college you know i didn't even graduate high school so i'm another <laughs> well, whole it other story. what
1: <laughs> it worked out so you're all
0: right it worked out for now but i, I don't want my kids to find out <laughs> anytime soon right. Sorry. But I want to just go back a second. So I'm just curious, because did your insecurities of hating the way you looked have anything to do with cosmetics? Did you think in some way, if you made these cosmetics, somehow you'd make yourself more beautiful?
1: Yes, I, I mean, I, I did. And really, uh, Richard, we started with the trichotillomania. And I know the exact Day that it actually happened normally is triggered by a traumatic event, and you, you said I have there in a the book that I I was very very close to my grandmother and she passed away you know in front of me, uh, just me and her by myself at eleven years old, and about a week later after that had happened. I know exactly what i was doing i was watching revenge of the nerds part one down in my basement i was watching it on a you know i was watching it on v- uh, vhs tape and when a movie started i had a full head of hair and when the movie was o- over i had a bald spot the size of a coaster on top of my head so it was me a lot of trick trick people we call them kind of tricks everyone that has had trick until a will know what i'm saying it's either self-conscious or it's um or it's conscious me started off being self-conscious so i didn't know what i even done until I saw the pile of hair on the floor, so that right away started my insecurities. So I looked obviously horrible, and no one at that time even knew what that disorder was. Even doctors were just just starting to get into it to try and figure out, you know, what it was. I mean, you, there's actually um, there's talk about trichotillomania actually in the Bible. So I mean, so it's like it's been there for a long, long time. Life. But to, to answer your question, once again back to Dynasty, there was a, a four about four years into the show. Uh, the, the character Stephen Carrington had like it was like he was like an oil rig explosion and the following week he came back a different character and he was like much better looking and, and he was he had plastic surgery he was in the hospital they showed him in the hospital getting plastic surgery after the oil rig explosion I'm like oh I can do that I can like start making myself look better because to your point earlier I had a big nose now I had bald spots in my hair I still I had a list, which I still actually have now as you probably could hear but it's much, it's much better so it was, I think it it's was charming. It's, it's I like
0: delightful, isn't it? It is. I think it's yeah. charming. My nephew stutters, and we did a podcast together. And I said uh, on the podcast, he doesn't want to be on because he stutters. I love his stutter. I think it's charming. Yeah. I love your your lisp. I think yeah. it's actually very charming.
1: I, I, I dated a, I, I dated a guy once a while once I had a stutter, and I, he used to say, "Yo, pick your safe word." I'm like, it, "Well, it's Poughkeepsie." And he's like, well, "I can't <laughs> say that." I'm like, "Exactly." <laughs> <I> <laughs> like I that's a that good. All right, I
0: All right. want to go back a little bit when you started pulling your hair out. Because the story to that, I know you mentioned a little bit, I know that you were so close to your grandmother. And when she got sick, the trauma was not necessarily her dying, but it was how she died. Can you tell the people listening? Because I think it's better if you tell.
1: No, no, sure, sure. Yeah. So she, again, I was with her alone. She actually had a heart attack. And my parents were just out that evening. And I was there by myself. And she, it was really dramatic. She flipped over the table, she was literally making sauce, you know, I'm hundred percent Italian. And when you hear the stereotype that, you know, they're up in the morning making sauce five in the morning, she literally was, she starts five in the morning and then finish it at nighttime. So she was making her sauce and, and had a really bad heart attack. And I was there and I, I called 911 and I was giving her CPR the whole time. And I was very aggressive. I didn't know what I was doing. I was 11. So it kind of just flash forward a couple hours later when, we, when they finally uh, was in the hospital and she had passed away in a hospital. Uh, my mother and father were in the hospital room and you know, kind of talking to the doctor and I was like kind of peeking around the corner because kids weren't like allowed in the ER and stuff and I heard, overheard the doctor you know, tell my parents that oh your son I think in nothing that you he inadvertently you crushed your mother's rib cage and that's that's a cause to her death so I heard that at 11 years old and my, my parents to so this my parents passed away about 10 years ago but they still never knew that I ever had heard that so that just like that triggered everything. And that's when the trichotillomania started. And and it took me almost 35 years. So I'm 46 right now, I would say only about 40, I finally was able to shake that um, guilt, uh, which took a really, really long time after kind of writing the book and having 35 years of therapy, you know, trying to get through it.
0: Yeah, I, I can imagine it being so traumatic for you. How long after your grandmother passed away, did the hair pulling begin?
1: Oh, really fast, it was like a week. A week. Yeah. So so I, yeah, so I know the exact trigger trigger. And most people that have trichotillomania w- would, if they think about, they'll be able to tell you their trigger also. It's something normally that kind of happens dramatically. That's kind of gradual or something like a traumatic event like that, that just triggered it. And it's still, to this day, I still do it. I, I have it under control, but it doesn't really ever go away. I like, I learned to like, you know, try and move to like armpit hair or it could be leg hair or you know arm hair and I even like to say pubic hair because I don't want people to think that the ones that actually do pubic hair are kind of like in a world of their own we all do it so it's just right. it's, uh, so it's like a, it's the whole entire body but it's I like the point
0: is if you're going to do it you might as well kill two birds with one stone and get the hair that you don't want as opposed to the hair on your head but looking at you That's now I mean your hairline looks good I don't notice anything at all since you came out with trichotillomania since you came out with that, you know, disorder, did you notice people coming to you and more and more people had it?
1: Yes. Yes, I, I did. Actually, I have my best friend right now. I met her through, trick, through a, a trick, you know, support group. And she, I had never met anybody that actually had it. So I, again, it's, it's not that it's not, it's actually very, it's very live and well, but it's, it's a very hidden disorder. If you go on YouTube and kind of Google it, you have like uh Mostly as teenagers, that's kind of where it starts. They're just like, you know, crying, and I can't go to the prom, and I can't do this thing. And and the other thing is, it affects mostly women. So I I think it's like ninety nine percent ish women that actually have it, one percent men. And I happen to be a, a gay guy. So, so, so some of the studies are that something with the female chromosome crossing over that's more prone that women have it than men. And gay guys have more than straight guys. So it's kind of, it's a weird, they still haven't pinpoint what's actually why it's like why it's in mostly females, but most of the females will do eyelashes, eyebrows. Um, and another another big part of the disorder, which I don't have, thank God, is actually swallowing, uh, chewing and swallowing the hair. Uh, so that, wow. again, we don't know why. There's something about the sensation about taking the, taking it out and then putting it back in. And I, I never had that, which, which is, Great because it causes, you know, stomach issues and you know you get sick and you get hairballs literally. So I never had that part, thank God. But I just had the hair pulling and I just would, you know, throw it away. But there's a lot of help out there for it. And it's a and again it's a there's a couple celebrities that have it that are very famous. And I don't want to say who they are because I don't know if they have permission to say their names. But I right. have talked to them um, and they're you know so again and they're all women. So it's a it's a really, you know, unusual disorder that people just don't talk about that much.
0: Well, if I was in Hollywood, I would have a lot more than trichotillomania. I'd, I'd, do, I'd be doing a lot more than pulling my hair out if I had to live in Hollywood and 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 go under their rules. But in any case, so I. what do you say to women? Like, Because you did say there's a lot of help out there. And I'm sure that people might have trichotillomania in such a slight way. They might not even know they have it. Like I know a girl who twee- she loves thick eyebrows, but she can't stop tweezing her eyebrows. They're right, so thin right. now she has to color them in. What do you say to women that may have it and not even know there's a name for it or that they have it?
1: Yeah, there, there is in Santa Ana, uh, Santa Clara, excuse me, California. There's actually a trichotillomania help center, and that's the only place in the country that that actually has it. And that's why I'm trying to come out with it too, because I mean, I, I would literally. If people were to write into your radio show or whatever they would do, I would help whoever I could, whether it's via you're talking to them, phone, Zoom, Skype, you know, whatever, because it's just, there's so much of it out there and people don't, they're very, it's a very, very, um, you know, hidden disorder. What, what all the doctors told me over the years, is kind of in the family with, with cutters.
0: I'm curious if this has anything to do with trick. I'm going to call trichotillomania, trick. When I was younger, I would wax my entire body, entire but body from toes up until neck. I mean, I had the best bikini line in the world, but nobody would ever see me because I would cover up and put sweatshirts on the beach. I didn't want anyone to see because my skin would be pink or red for the first couple of days. It didn't matter how many times I waxed, but I had this obsession with waxing. The hair on my body would drive me crazy. And when it would start to grow in, I almost didn't want to take my clothes off to see it and go in the shower. I remember standing in the bathroom being so having such anxiety about taking off my clothes to take a shower because I would see all that hair. And I remember going right. to my shrink and I would tell him this four letter word hair is mm-hmm. going to kill me. It's driving me crazy. Yeah. I felt I was losing it on my head. I mean, as it turns out, I, I wasn't. But my brother lost his hair so quick that I had anxiety about losing it on my head, and I was, and I had the hair on my body was driving me crazy. Is that a sign of trichotillomania?
1: Yeah, I think a very gradual one. I, I do, because if the fixation on hair, that really is what the definition of it is. So, so you pr- didn't pull it out you know, by hand, but that is a fixation, you know, of, of hair pulling and you actually make a very good point. Cause the one thing I wanted to share with your listeners is that that's one of the things I actually done for myself. I personally was a swimmer my whole life. I realized, well, there's two things I realized once after going through a lot of doctors, if you were to get an antidepressant or something to help with trichotillomania, the ones they give you are to actually boost serotonin and vitamin, um, UVB, which is mostly encapsulated in tanning beds are, would boost your serotonin level so one thing as a teenager i already found out i started going to tannin beds all the time and all my friends from high school will tell you i look like i came back from you know from bora bora every week in high school so it always was dark and i used to wax myself from neck to nuts everything i possibly could so the two so what it would do you know rich is honestly give us give you a fix so i tell people that would trick all the time that's still something I do to this day. I go to t- tanning bed and it has to be a tanning bed, not the regular sun, because the UVB is encapsulated. But as a cosmetic chemist, I can't overly advertise that because obviously it's horrible for your skin right. in general. But for for, for trichotillomania, it helps you r- raise your serotonin level. And to this day, I still wax my whole entire body again from necks down to my feet. I, I, it gives me like it gives me a fix. So I really think you probably had a very, very small cutting edge of that probably that was that was in your in your psyche for sure. I mean, if you fixate like on your pimples or ingrown hairs, that's all kind of in the same same family. Right.
0: It's incredible because, you know, at the time I didn't know it and I was put on medication too for it. And I think I kind of um, grew out of it. I think it could have been the medication because it kind of subsided after a while. And ironically, now that I'm older, my hair grows in so thin and so little because I think of the decades of ripping the hair out of my body.
1: Well, sure, sure, yeah. That'll definitely kill the follicle over a period of time. Okay, so
0: I want to get to the business aspect of it because your mother was a brilliant businesswoman and you took from her the thing of the turnkey business she had a turnkey business, like like the wedding. She was a wedding planner. And not only did she plan weddings and get the venue and get the food, she'd even have a place for women to get the wedding dresses. I mean, everything from A to Z. So it was literally one-stop shopping. A woman, a couple would go to your mom and she would give them everything they needed to get married as opposed to running around you know, all over whatever, the city, the country, trying to get the best of everything.
1: Right, exactly, and that's and that, and it was a it was kind of a big deal because it was the late '70s, and it was a woman, you know, running her own business, which wasn't you know a very popular thing those days. And she really, the, the reason why she I, she came with this turnkey, you know, thought was she wanted to be a full time mother as well. So to your point, she did it all out of the house. So she raised me and my sister herself you know, as, as a stay at home mother. But also, the very first thing she started on was was a limousine. So she. She traded in her first car. And this was not my father had nothing to do with this. She did this all on her own and she traded in her first car and she got a limo. And so by the time I was I was born in 1974, by the time the early 80s came, we had a fleet of limousines in the driveway. It was like six cars parked out on the street. Um, and, our, which, by the way, translated to high school later on. I went to 13 proms between freshman and senior year because I always had access to all the limousines. So, I mean, I also had very good girlfriends that were, but, but we also had a fleet of limousines. But to your point, as she started doing a limousine, if they were coming to her for a limo for a wedding, of course, they needed the dress. Of course, they needed the flowers. Of course, they needed the invitations, the food, the whole thing. So she really kind of collaborated with caterers, florists, wedding designers, and just had, and had all of them bring everything to the house. So she'd have the food brought to the house for tasting. She had the dresses brought to the house for the fitting. She'd have the invitations come. So I had 20 years of brides from hell coming in and out of our house. I grew up with brides also that, you know, one nut, one nut in the other. Then we have like really funny things like, you know, I'm a hundredth Italian Roman Catholic. So we have a lot of big uh, Italian population where i grew up on, on the jersey shore and also there's a lot of jews so and, and as you probably know a lot of jews and italians are very attracted to each other so we'd have these two different religions in our house screaming oh a synagogue no we're going to do the church oh no the priest no the rabbi and so my mother used to be also kind of like a like a a referee between the jews and the italians to try and get the, to, to get them married so i just remember a lot of these crazy brides um, specifically when it was like different religions trying to tie it all together so she also was a a problem solver so as far as calming people down
0: right i heard somebody once say that if people know your smell if you get out of an elevator and they go ah vince was here you should switch perfumes or colognes is
1: that true uh what well, yes if, it, if yeah if it's too if, i agree with that too if it's, it's subjective but i agree with that too if people start to realize that that's you all the time i would it's time to switch it up I, I I, so. I've been
0: wearing the same cologne forever, and I wear, I, I'm a cologne wearer, even if I'm not kind of doing anything. It's just kind of my habit after, I'm, after I come out of the shower. It's just kind of my habit. Plus, my kids sneak into my bed at night, and I like for them to smell me so when I'm dead, they'll remember exactly what I smelled like.
1: That's right. And that's a lot of times when things happen, too. You know, somebody passes away, whether it's somebody in your family or whether it's an animal, even an animal my mother has been dead for 10 years and I still have boxes from her that she shipped me like stuff in 10 years ago. And I opened a box. I mean, it's her. It's, I mean, it's amazing. It's not, and it's not really even like, like something she wore, but it could be something even as simple as the laundry detergent, the way the the way the washer used a certain, you know, was tied in with with the you know fabric softener type of thing. So really, it's things like that really evoke you know memories. So it does, the, the which is why I like sticking oh, right.
0: to the same. That's why I like sticking to the same fragrance. Right. Did your mom wear perfume? Do you remember what she wore?
1: The, the other funny thing is, I'm being. She actually wore absolutely nothing. She was she was very highly allergic to everything, so she put on an essential oil once in a while, but she never wore perfume and stuff because she had a really bad allergies and asthma. So I never even could like play and try it around the house because she'd be sneezing and having an asthma attack. So, so I had to like leave, right. leave the house to even trying to spray, you know, spray her fragrance. And when and, and I was young, uh, Axe had just come out, which was like, you know, that's like the man, man, man smell. So you spray, uh, most most uh, parents that have teenage boys you know that they, they spray Axe. The whole entire house smells like, you know, a sweaty gym.
0: Right, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So my mother wore um, uh, Shalimar, for a while and I couldn't take it. I hated the smell of it. I remember every time she'd put it on, I hated the Shalimar. And I bought her a bottle of Calca Fleur, which was very florally, which I loved. And I used to smell it on customers of mine on Madison Avenue or Third Avenue when they come in. And then my mother got addicted to that and she wore that for so many years. So now whenever I smell Calca Fleur, it reminds me of my mother who also, I also lost both my parents. So, you know, it's very sentimental to me when I do smell it.
1: Right, right. And, and, and there's ones that, you know, from that period of time, Shalimar, Joy, the original number five of Chanel, Opium. I mean, that's like, they're, they're just very, very, very potent. And that's, the, and that's the way it was for that period of time. And then that kind of went away for a while. And then in the, lady, in, in the 80s, it came back again, like with, you know, Giorgio and like, you know, 960 from Beverly Hills. So, so now we're like, everything's kind of much more kind of unisex and softer right now um you know and you know and all
0: of that i i use Kiton. yeah i don't yeah, know if you've ever really heard that.
1: of it, it yeah i have i have actually I, I used
0: it it's you know i like it my kids like it i mean so that's kind of my my thing that i've been using who was your very first celebrity to come for a fragrance to you
1: uh, M- michael jordan that's, that's was a it a full locker? It was the Foot Locker one. <laughs> I I it was actually it was actually was developed through Bijan in Beverly Hills. So they were uh-huh. the they were the creators of it. But I once again they were across the street from where I was working at Vidal with Beverly. And I just went in there and said, let me let me help with this. So I had a big hand in working on the Foot Locker one for Michael Jordan. And that's fun also the Jennifer Lopez one. Again, Jennifer, Jennifer Lopez. Lopez one, yeah, so the Jennifer Lopez one was created by you know by Cody and uh, or or Unilever. I can't remember which one it was, but we provided like the oils actually for the fragrance and putting it together. So I got to meet with her a couple times, and I don't know if I say it in a book, but I it was right when she had the famous song "Jenny from the Block." you know, out and she was dating Ben Affleck at the time. And me and her, you know, really hit it off. And she started calling me Vinny from the block. And so we, she was a lovely, lovely lady and she's absolutely brilliant too. Her fragrance was made by a really big company but we would be providing her like essential oils and different kinds of scents and smell to kind of get her get her to that spot.
0: She's actually a beautiful woman, I have to say. And she's worn she my shoes. Shirt. Yeah, she's a beautiful woman. I don't know how she is as, as, as a person but she's a beautiful woman. She seems like she's okay. Yeah. Do you have so, favorite fragrances?
1: I do, actually for myself. I'm Can you be honest? Pro- yes, I, 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 oh my God, you, was, I, they should have warned you before you got my, me on a podcast, I, I'm overly honest. Great. Uh, so- I yeah. want to know for your favorites.
0: For- I don't care if you develop them, not develop them, or which celebrity you develop them for. What are your favorite fragrances?
1: Well, the funny thing is, that everything I develop, I don't use. Like, after the 18 months is over, I, if I smell, I want to vomit. I can't even, I <sighs> can't even handle it anymore. Because you're smelling the same fragrance and the same thing every single day. Um, like, I, I take my, cl- I take my customers' your products home after they're developed, and I use them, of course, after for performance. And then once that, I can't even smell them anymore. I'm like, I'm done. I'm out. You know, so I, I get so I it. I get yeah.
0: it. My sister cooks all day. By the time nighttime comes, when we go to her house, she can't eat it. She's smelling it the entire day.
1: I'm done. That's right. But for, for me, I really, I really love most, a, lot, a couple of the Tom Ford fragrances for myself personally. So I even I wear a Black Orchid uh, once in a while. He has one called um, Cherry Red, I think it's called, or Ch- oh, Cherry Blossom that I wear. that I, love. I don't know. I think that's the right name. But so I'm really kind of in the, the Tom Ford stuff I really like. Tom Ford Cherry Blossom, what was the other? Black Orchid. Oh, Black Orchid. That's what I have on right now, for example. But you use your own skincare products. I do. I do. That, that I do do, because I, I just have to. I just, you know, that'd be really like a, I'd really be a, a hypocrite. Hypocrite. But yeah, Hyp- a hypocrite. Hypocrite. <laughs> hypocrite. Right. <Hypocrite. laughs> That's funny.
0: I love that how Dynasty was such a huge influence on you, because it was for me as well. I was obsessed with Dynasty. And I remember going to Nell's. I don't know. Did you ever live in New York
1: City? I think you yeah. did. In your book, you no. no, you? I, no I, I stayed in the Jersey Shore, uh, South Jersey, but I, but I went back to the city all the time. But I never actually lived there. But I was there like all week long, going back and forth all That's the what, time.
0: Yeah, we have a house by the Jersey Shore too. We're in. Um, we're by Asbury Park. Did you ever hear of that? Yeah, of, course, Asbury. of
1: course, yeah, yeah. I'm down in Ocean City, which is um, about. A half an hour south of Atlantic City. I grew up in Vineland, which is right on an offset of the of the um the shore point. But all of our childhood was in Ocean City, which is pretty much right below Atlantic City, right there. So I was that, that's the other thing. I was gambling before I could walk. And you asked me earlier, it's another funny story. You asked me earlier about you know my genetic dysmorphic disorder and everything. So I had this funny story I love to tell because I was going to like casinos and stuff before I even could like walk because that we just was right there. And I remember one time I already had the trichotillomania i already had genetic dysmorphic disorder i had a dyslexia so all these things were always kind of in my head and i was playing roulette one time and the and there's a woman that was just staring at me the whole time she's saying hey looking at me and talking and, and she but she was staring and staring and staring and staring so finally like an hour and a half later she walks away and she goes, i just realized i just want to let you know you probably noticed i've been looking at you all night i go yeah i, I have actually she goes oh well, I'm a talent scout and a, for for a model agency and I want to give you my card. I go, and so I had like this like 10 seconds, like, oh my God, this woman seems like I could be a model. And she's like, oh, uh, for hands and feet. I go, you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I do have the most, I always tell my friends, I'm a very, very sexy from the ankles down. I, I do have beautiful, i do have beautiful hands and feet and i and i I did end up doing it for about two years i was a hand and foot model for about two years with her she got me things for rolex and for ferragamo and stuff and i so i did it but the i had like this 10 seconds of like oh my gosh like i could be a model and then she's like oh for your feet and hands i'm like you bitch. <laughs> when
0: I read that in the book, I was laughing out loud. I couldn't stop laughing. Yeah. I mean, your book was funny. It was suspenseful. It was sad. There were so many elements to your book. I had so many emotions. I never read a book so fast. I always say I'm not a huge reader because I don't have time. I love watching television. Your book was such an easy read. I already sent it to maybe 10 people, my family and friends, and my friends already said he loves it. He couldn't get over it. He oh, was okay. commenting on some of the things that, that you did. <laughs>
1: Let's tell them it's good bathroom
0: reading. <laughs> it's good anytime reading. That I have to tell right. you. I want to talk also about your cosmetic surgery. I mean, this breaks my heart. You talk about in the book that when you were 10 years old, you knew you started saving up for, pl- you knew you were go- going to save up for plastic surgery.
1: Yes. Is that accurate? It is at 10, which is pretty, pretty sad. That like breaks I, my so heart. I had- I just had a big gigantic schnaz. I was very, very, I was very skinny. I had my, my mother, I don't know why she did it to me. I had the, you know, I had like the curly hair Afro. So everything that was just like, and again, I think that also that triggered the trick of I hated my hair because I had this big kinky curly, you know, raggedy and type hair. And for some reason, you know, well, it's not it's the way it was in the seventies and early eighties. It just was like wild and free. So I used to, I wanted, I wanted it out. So I took I think I found a trigger to get it out. So, but to your point, when that stupid thing happened on Dynasty in the early 80s with, with that plastic 30, I'm like, oh, that can be done. I think both characters that play Stephen Carrington on the show are very handsome, but I felt the second one was much more handsome. Uh, so I said, oh, he, he became a lot better looking by having a, being an oil rig explosion. <laughs> Wait, which was the Steven is that was that the son, Stephen? Yes, there was uh, uh, John Forsythe's son on the show, correct. Oh, the gay one. Correct. And by the way, that that was the very first openly character, openly yes. gay character on TV. So that was the other thing. I was like, oh, I didn't know what gay even was. So, but, like, I, but I was identifying with what, what his feelings were. So I didn't know what was going on. But I'm like, but he was the very first gay character. Again, to your point earlier, there was no Will and Grace yet. There was no right. Ellen. No, I mean, it was like, that was it. <laughs> you know, that and was that it. Was like, yeah.
0: And I remember never, being obsessed with it.
1: They would never show a kiss or anything and and, and, fa- and fast forward you know all the way to now i'm actually good buddies with tori spelling because of her father i met aaron many times in the very um you know early 2000s when i came to california and she was she was just at the prime of her you know career with 90210 and she's a very good friend of mine still as of today and she actually wrote one of the um she had one of the blurbs in my, on the back of my book. She's one of the celebrity, you know, blurbs she wrote wrote for me, and I we talk all the time about her father and how that show changed my life, and that's how I became friends with her. We just started talking about her father and Charlie's Angels and you know, Love Boat and all the sh- wonderful shows that he did. You know, but that but that period of time in the '80s, it was like, I mean, if you turn on nighttime TV, it was Dallas, Dynasty, Knots Landing, and Falcon Crest. It was like it all it was all just like stuff and money and power. And it was great. It was was so great. I love it.
0: I mean, I remember getting back to the story I was saying earlier, I remember going to Nell's on 14th Street one night and sitting right next to Al Corley. He was the first uh, son in Dynasty, the gay one. And I don't know if you remember the club Nell's. It was one of the very few clubs in New York City. It was, I think, after, you know, the Sound Factory. It was after Studio 54 and all those clubs where they had, like, celebrity, like, you know, special areas where you couldn't go in. Nell's was completely... If you got into Nell's, it was small. You were sitting next to everyone, everybody mingled. And I remember him sitting right next to me. I didn't even realize it until, you know, our legs kept touching. And then I looked and I just saw this big bronze, beautiful looking man. And I was like, holy shit, that's Al Corley sitting right next to me. And I just remember it just being so surreal. Not just the television aspect of it. Even the New York City nightlife was very... Comparable to what I was watching on TV, because we were there. It was like Iman was at the end of the bar. He was sitting next to me, and everybody was just having fun. It was a great time back in those days.
1: I have a, have a, a documentary coming out too called "Skin Deep." called It's called "Skin Deep: Formulating a Legacy," and that's we've been filming for the last seven years. And the reason why I'm bringing that up is because. We have part of the the, the documentary. We have most, a, a, a bunch of the Dynasty cast members in there with me talking about the show because I, I I really unpack in the documentary why The Young and the and why in the Dynasty these shows. So we have Emma Samson in the documentary, and uh, Michael Corden who played um, played Dex Dexter and Adam Carrington. So we have we have these these uh, celebrities in the show in my documentary explaining what how Dynasty was so big and how it shaped actually a generation of people because it really did with me, uh, and I was obsessed with it. I know me too I, I, it's, it's embarrassing to say but when it went off the air in 1989 i actually cried for two weeks i felt like i i really and i'm not, not even like joking i felt like i lost my family it was i was so <laughs> my sister used to make fun of me because when the, when the show would open up and the and the theme song would come on i would be like fixated on the tv i was like so i was like there with them for like those that one hour like in the show with them so it's like i it just was i think it just wasn't some kind of a weird escape for me but it wasn't a really good model to really you know learn from because it was like billionaires, right? They were like what they weren't well, not just billionaires. billionaires. It yeah. wasn't just
0: the billionaire aspect. It was fueling your obsession with the way you looks with the what? way you looked. Like I want to ask you, how many plastic surgeries have you had? Do you can you count? Do you know how many?
1: I actually lost track, but I've had probably about like, I think twelve or thirteen, and seven of them were on my nose. And that's the other thing where I just think I'm like being punished by my mother and by God because she's like she always said, You I love your Italian nose is what is what you're all about and blah 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 I try to change it seven times and I'm not even kidding you. I wake up and I look exactly the same. So it's like my friends even joke they say the plastic surgeon put me asleep, smack me around and like give me black <laughs> wake me up. So I I, mean, I look I look slightly different, but it's like I literally cannot get rid of it. It keeps like the, the tip keeps dropping back down again. I've had the best plastic surgeons in the world working on it in Beverly Hills and in Dallas and Manhattan. And it just goes back to where it was. So I don't know what it is. I'll tell you what it
0: is. Do you want to know what it is?
1: I'm going to tell you
0: because I'm the expert. You're perfect (laughs) the way you are. You're perfect. Stop changing. You're perfect. It is the way it's supposed to be. And ironically, the very nose you tried to change seven times has been your gift because of the the famous nose that you have for perfumes. I mean,
1: yeah. ironically, the thing that you hated so much has been, you know, your pathway to success. Right, and, and, that's, and that's, kind of, that's kind of the sticky wicket right now, because to your point, my nose is my whole career, and I, I had the surgery done so many times that like a whole like right side of my nostril is kind of collapsed, I can't breathe out of one side. So I had to get at least the internal part fixed at some point, but now I'm gonna probably go to like an ear, nose and throat, not actually a plastic surgeon. So I had to be able to breathe uh, probably my, my nose actually is insured for a million dollars because this is I, mean, I I you know kind of like having uh who was it was it I think it was um uh, the legs Tina Turner yeah. somebody had their legs uh, insured yeah I was thinking of the Jane Russell that's a, that's what I was thinking of originally that was uh, Marilyn Monroe but yeah Jane Russell did it originally and Tina Turner had it too so I have my nose insured for my my job so I, I tell these surgeons like you can't like you can't screw this up buddy because I can't I, if I can't breathe I'm finished if I can't smell right. proper way yeah. Amazing. So now, I'm like, now I'm like scared. Now I now I kind of need to do it so I can just breathe, probably. But I still able like to do my job fine. But I would like to have both nostrils working would be delightful.
0: <laughs> do you ever have regrets? I know that you had PEC implants put in, taken out, put in again. You got very sick from it. You had infections. I mean, obviously that was a regret. But did you have any other regrets? of plastic surgery. Is there any advice you can give to anyone listening that's has BDD that constantly is thinking of the next thing to change?
1: For myself personally, and I don't know, I don't know why they, they've, they've all been wrong. They've all come out wrong. I've had a problem with every single, not, I have not walked away from one surgery that I did not have some kind, of, some kind of problem with. I personally um, got a staph infection two different times called MRSA, you know, MRSA, which is a pretty common staph infection. And I had those, um, pectoral implants put in one time and then taken out three days later because they got infected and that's another kind of funny story i have i was in a hospital for 10 days with these pectoral implants that got taken out and put back in they had my chart wrong and they had me there that i was there for a sex change operation so these doctors were treating me as a like i had breasts put in and which is and they thought i actually had a problem with these so the whole, so literally everything that could have gone wrong i i Rich, you have no idea. I could walk in the ocean right now and get hit by a train. That's just the way my life, I guess my life is. I don't know why, but to anyone that's having plastic surgery, I mean, I have that's the thing that's very frustrating for me. I had a of, I had tons of friends and family and people that have done it. They come out and they look they look beautiful. I I come out and it's just like the opposite. Either I look the same or something falls off of me, you know, <laughs> or, or whatever. So I just haven't had so I couldn't advise or suggest anybody to do it based on my experience. I just haven't had any luck with it. But a lot of people have. You know, tremendous amount of luck with it and look great when it's all said and done but not for me <laughs> it, it hasn't worked out did you learn to like yourself i, I have and, and and it really was getting this this book out and i i don't say it in a book but because of trichotillomania, i was going to therapist two times a week since i was 11 years old up until about 33 years uh, 33 years old 35 roughly and i was so I've been on, I was on the couch two, two times a week for 30 years. So I was in, I was in one of my, my sessions with my psychologist, you know, at 33 years old and talking like my regular one hour session and about 20 minutes in, I just like, I threw my hands up in the air. And I said, I'm, I'm done. That's it. I'm done. I cannot hear myself say one more thing about myself. So if I ever was a narcissist it's long, long, long gone. Cause I could not even like, I could not hear myself. Talk. I couldn't even go one more minute. And that day, I walked out of her office and I started writing my book and I just put it all into the book and that's what I, and now I don't, I mean, if he held a gun to my head, I wouldn't go to a therapist again. I just don't think I need it. I just, I know how to kind of like manage it and do everything. The book helped me figure out what triggered what, what came from where, how I feel about everything. So when you hear, when you hear a stereotype of like, Oh, put it, put it out on paper and get it out. It worked for me. And I just, it, it was really funny because I just I had a trigger at 20 minutes into this one session. I'm like, you know what? I just, I'm done. I can't hear myself talk anymore. I'm disgusted with hearing myself complain about what's been going on for 35 years.
0: God, you're better than me. I could still complain forever and ever. I'm a chronic complainer. Right? I always say, I got to stop. I don't know how Brad has not smothered me in my sleep yet. But I do want to ask you do you think that as we get older, we gained the confidence that we needed as you know that we needed in our youth it's ironic that when we're young our skin is tight uh, we have a full head of hair everything is so great and yet i was so insecure when i was younger and as i've gotten right. older i've lost so much i mean just getting older you know you see the wrinkles i'm losing hair by the right. seconds every night a couple of strands here but yet the confidence is so different i'm so much more confident today than i ever was
1: well, I think, Rich, I think real simply that that's a lot of that has to do with bullying, I think. I mean, as we get older, you really don't have bullies anymore. If you, if you have people in your life at our age right now that are bullying you or saying things that are bad about you, they're probably going to be out of your life in about an hour. But going through grammar school and high school and even, I would say, even as late as college, you, there's bullies and people make fun of you. And just, I think once the, those people go away, you start to get your own confidence. And you, that's why you hear people say, oh, today I left high school. I'm getting the hell out of here or whatever, whatever you're going to say. But as adults, if we had those people in our lives, we'd be proud to be idiotic to have people. That's why, I, that's why I have a tremendous, tremendous respect for battered women, too. I do a lot with the battered women shelter, trying to help them out, whether we help them get a car or help them get out of their relationship. Because I think as adults, if you're still there and that stuff is still going bad, you need to, we need to get them out, get them out of that. Because we shouldn't feel that way anymore. Um, now, again, those unfortunately those things that are in our brain or since childhood are still there. They don't always go away. You know, hence me having all these surgeries and all and all of the insecurities that I still have. I think we just don't have that stuff around us anymore as we get older. And yet, and you just say, you know, screw it. It's just like this is what we is what, 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 like I have I have left.
0: It's a good feeling. It's liberating. I will say it is liberating. <laughs> um, getting older, I'll forfeit a little bit of the youth and the skin and the hair for the confidence that I have now.
1: I mean, gay men too. I mean, it's like, it's like, it's, it's totally worse for us. And again, I don't know why, but it's, it, you know, it's all just, it's just driven by looks and muscles and body and whatever. So I think um, not that women and, and, and heterosexual men don't have the same problem. But I think gay men have a much, much harder time with that than anybody else. Cause just, I mean, everyone's looking for perfection for some reason. I agree with that.
0: And that's why I, you know, go to the gym like a maniac and I work out like a monster because, and I do think it's exactly what you said. Gay men always feel like they just have to constantly turn the clock back and stay young. Yeah. It's, it's, that's the awful part about it, but you know, I've learned to keep it in balance. I don't work out the way I used to. I try to get away with doing as little as I can do maintaining what I have. That's been my new, my new philosophy, especially during the lockdown when there was no gyms.
1: Right. Well, I I do aerobic imagery. That's that's what I learned to do.
0: (laughs) What is aerobic imagery? You imagine yourself doing aerobics? That's it. I love it. That's what I've I've been doing. I love it. There is so much more to talk about. We're gonna stop here. I cannot wait for you guys to listen to part two of Vince Spinato. He's gonna tell us how he dodged a terrorist plane attack, how he dodged a tornado, how he almost died of pancreatitis, how he set his own house on fire, and where he is today. It's so interesting. He has, like I say, nine lives. So stay tuned for part two of Inspinato. You've been listening to Rich In Life with Rich Arani. If you like what you heard, click subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. Or visit us at richinlife.com. That's R-I-T-C-H
1: in lifecom